some of you are old enough to remember (laughs) Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers was better known as Mr. Rogers, the host, producer, author, and even an ordained Presbyterian pastor. Mr. Rogers was best known, perhaps, for his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, when he attempted to use television to be helpful to children and to families. Now, here's the truth. Especially in today's standards, the show wasn't fancy at all. It was low production. The sets were very simple. And honestly, even Mr. Rogers himself wasn't super uber exciting. He sported a cardigan and sneakers. But with gentleness and kindness, no doubt influenced by a childhood that included himself being bullied by other people, he attempted to journey with other people and help them to teach valuable life lessons even through some of the hardest moments. Mr. Rogers didn't preach from the pulpit on television, but he certainly proclaimed a message. He wanted people to see themselves as uniquely created and valuable. And he wanted everyone who was listening to love their neighbors, the people around them every day. Now what you may realize is that Mr. Rogers' message had been shared by one who was even greater than he was. His name is Jesus. Look with me in Matthew chapter 22 beginning in verse 34. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, in reality, this wasn't new information. This was a reiteration of even the law of God found in the Old Testament. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 We've, we've mentioned before that the people of this day would have repeated this on a daily, regular basis. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. And even the part about loving your neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He adds this phrase in Matthew 22. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's like a door in this room, in my office, in your home. The Ten Commandments, as we so well know them, and the words of all the prophets could really be summarized in two things, two principles, two ways of life. Love God and love people. We start with the first command that Jesus gave, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, we find that there's this addition of the word and your mind. God is the focus of all our desires and all of our passions. 
God is the focus when we love Him with all that we are. He's the focus of our deepest longings. We want in our lives to honor God. We love God and serve Him as a deliberate act of our will. And we love God with our best energies and our best efforts. Let me summarize it for you. Our love for God is an all-encompassing love. We love Him that much and that way because He first loved us. I still don't think after all this time that we fully, really grasp just how great the love of God is in our lives. That we were unworthy and undeserving of His love. People who were rebellious towards God and yet He loved us first. And when we love Him because He loved us, everything in our lives flows out of being loved by God and loving Him in return. Jesus went on to say it this way, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the word and there connects us to the first commandment. The New Living Translation reads it just a little bit different. It is the second commandment is equally important. We cannot, I actually would suggest to you today, we cannot separate love for God and love for our neighbors. We cannot separate love for God and love for our neighbors. John would write it this way, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 1 John 4, just several verses later in verse 21, John wrote, And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And if that's not enough, Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. We even find in Scripture in Galatians chapter 5 that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Meaning that we can do some things in a loving manner. There may be an attempt to love someone else, but the fullness of love is only experienced in connection with God. And as the Holy Spirit is working in our heart and our mind and through our hands and feet to love other people, the greatest love is only going to come as a product of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. You cannot separate love for God and love for your neighbor. To say it a different way today, if the vertical isn't right, the horizontal will never be right. If you haven't experienced that love of God firsthand, and if you're not in a place where you love God with everything that you are, then there's not going to be this expression of love to the people around you. If the vertical isn't right, the horizontal will not be right. God's love, I'm thankful, is unconditional. And it has been expressed in selfless, sacrificial ways. How? God gave His only Son to die for each and every one of us. God gave His only Son to die for each and every one of us. And it's when we really experience that kind of love, 
the, the love that Scripture calls the perfect love, that we in turn can love God with all that we are, encompassing every part of our lives. When we realize then, after being saved or after experiencing the love of God, when we realize who we are in Christ as a result of the salvation that God has brought, and as we journey with Him and His love flows through us to others and we want to experience that love, but we also want other people to experience the love of God. There's a connection between love for God and love for your neighbor. Jesus said in the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That word love there is the Greek word agape and it means sacrificial selfless love. It's more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. As much as we've sang for years that we're hooked on a feeling, the reality is that true love, as Scripture is defining it here and as Jesus defined it in His words, is more than an emotion, but it is moved to action. For God so loved the world that He gave. Love moved to action. Compassion moved to action. Love is sacrificial and selfless. Love your neighbor as yourself. The word neighbor here, we often think of the people living next door to us. And I have noticed through the years that neighbors seem to be much closer than they used to be. Anybody realize that? Like years ago, people would have all the land and, and they'd build a house and they had some land around them and it was enough that you couldn't reach out your window and touch the neighbor's house, right? And then they started building up all of these uh, subdivisions and places with homes. And, and I don't, can I even walk sideways in between these houses? They're so tight together, right? But neighbor actually means anyone who is near, it encompasses all human beings. It's universal to all of our connections. So it's not just for you to say, well, I really should do something nice for the person living next door to me. What Jesus is actually saying is because of the love of God and because we love the Lord and His love is at work through us, we then should love each and every person we come in contact with. And he goes further to say something that I think could be misunderstood. Jesus says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to be clear. I don't believe in this moment that Jesus was advocating for the love of self like we see in our culture. Uh, what we see in our culture playing out is a love of self that gets to the point of being truly selfish. Only focused on self. Only focused on what's best for me. Only focused on, on the, the life that is produced by pride of it's all about me. I, I hear it in so many different expressions in our culture, so many different conversations. And, and I understand that we should not hate ourselves and we sometimes even have to wrestle through the unhealthy self-loathing that can take place or self-guilt or self-shame. We'll talk about it in a moment. But at the same time, what we don't want to do is come to this place where we're only living for ourselves. Jesus is not teaching us to love in a selfish way. Maybe a better way to understand what Jesus is teaching here is to understand another place that he taught in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, this is what Jesus said. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
This has been quoted throughout our history. That there have been at least variations of this that have been shared in every square and every circle around in life. But ultimately, it goes back to Jesus teaching what it means to love God and then as a result to love others. And he's talking here about equal treatment and behavior towards people. The same kind of behavior and the same kind of treatment that we would want and that we would expect and that we would have maybe experienced in our lives. It's love for others that we can see other people the way God sees them. And that we can want other people to experience what God has done for us. We love other people as a reflection of what we ourselves have received. We want grace. We want mercy. We want compassion. We were glad to have the opportunity for for receiving from God in our lives. So now we extend that grace and that mercy and that compassion and that opportunity for others that we have received from God so that they might receive from God too. Notice what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. Jesus doesn't just say that we're to avoid doing the wrong things to people, but he's actually teaching that we should be intentional to do the right things towards other people. So we have to be careful not to live, even even in a world that we feel uncomfortable in, we have to be careful not to live in that way to a point that our answer for what's happening and our answer towards people we can't agree with and our answer towards people that maybe make us uncomfortable and our answer towards people that are struggling and in bondage, that our answer is not, well, we'll just avoid them. But that our answer would be, we're going to do unto others what we've experienced in our own life. We're not going to shun them. We're not going to try to to move our lives away from the people that could be messy and need the grace of God. We're going to run towards them knowing that God who changed our lives can change their lives too. That the same Jesus who died on the cross for their sin, died on the cross for my sin, died on the cross for their sin, died on the cross for everyone's sin. Loving our neighbors means the commitment to do no harm, but to do what is best for people in the light of the desires of God. And I'm convinced what Jesus is teaching here when he says the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, that Jesus is suggesting that loving our neighbors as ourselves starts with seeing ourselves the right way. Not in a selfish way, not in a way that's focused only on ourselves, but, but in a way from God's perspective to see our value to Him. Let's talk about that for a moment. What does it mean to see ourselves in the right way? If you're taking notes today, number one, it means we need to recognize we are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. Do you recognize today there is no other portion of creation that was created as uniquely as we are? There were no other portions of creation created with the opportunity to have relationship with God like we are. We are created in the image of God. Both man and woman, human beings, are created as a reflection of God with the ability to have a unique personal relationship with Him. That's what He intended. That's the way He created humanity, the race of human beings. That's how He created us to begin with. In His image, 
with the ability to have a relationship with Him. What does that tell us? Well, being created in the image of God reminds us we are valuable. We are valuable. We matter to God. And if we want that in our lives and recognize that in our lives, then we want every other human being to know that. We believe as a result that every human being was created in the image of God and therefore every human being, even the people who aren't just like you, every human being is created in the image of God and is therefore valuable to our Lord. Humanity, in fact, is so valuable and God desires relationships so much that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. What humanity broke at the tree in the Garden of Eden, God Himself sent His Son to hang on a tree on Calvary so that the curse could be broken, the power of sin could be broken, so that we could have right relationship with God, a restored relationship that God intended that way from the first place. Humanity is so valuable that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. Secondly, we realize when we see ourselves the right way, we recognize that our greatest identity is in Christ. I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm not a brother because I'm an only child, forgive me. Uh, I, I, I have all of these different ways that people could classify me in this life, but the truth is our greatest identity is in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we are loved, we are chosen, we are children of God, creation of God, and if we believe in Jesus, children of God. We are new creations in Christ. We are friends of God, Scripture says, in Christ. We are part of the family of God. We are God's masterpiece. We are, as we sing about this morning, citizens of heaven on our way to eternal life. There is no greater identity than that. I love being a husband. I love being a father. I love what I get to do as a pastor. I love being a friend to people. I love being on the journey. But there is no greater identity than being a Jesus follower, than being a child of God. Because when it's all said and done, we talked about it earlier in service, death is the issue I've got to resolve. I've got to deal with this life is finite. And the only way to deal with that is not just by being a husband or being a father, but I've got to have the identity of being in Christ and being a child of God because as a child of God I get all the rights and privileges of being his child I've been adopted into the family of God and if God can do that in you and me even those people that you say are the furthest away from God those are the people that God is in the business of changing identities God is in the business of changing lives. God is in the business of changing hearts. God is in the business of breaking things in people's lives and bringing them to a new life in Christ. When we love God because God loved us and we desire then for that love to flow through us to love our neighbors, then what we're wanting is every other human being to have the opportunity to experience this same transformation. When we recognize how we are seen in God's eyes, and when we think about how we've been loved, then we also recognize, number three, that we were recipients of God's love and compassion. 
God gave His Son Jesus to die for us in our place for our sin and suffering the punishment that we deserved. Jesus died on the cross and rose again all to give us salvation and freedom and right relationship with God and eternal life. Scripture describes that Jesus in His earthly ministry had compassion on people because He realized they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it's that motivation, that compassion, that great love that motivated him to go to the cross so that on the other side of death and resurrection, you and I could experience a different life. And when we believed in Jesus, his grace gave us more than we could ever deserve. His grace gave us more than we could ever deserve. His grace is still giving us more than we could ever deserve. And every other human being on the planet, every other human being is a candidate to experience this love and compassion from God. It is, it is one of my greatest prayers in this conversation as we look at different passages of Scripture in the next couple of weeks and we review what Jesus has said in this, in this subject matter and what Jesus has taught us, even when being tested like He was in Matthew 22. It is my prayer that we will see people through this lens, that we will see people as candidates for God to work. That we will not see people as too far gone or we will not see people as too far lost in sin or we will not see people as, as whatever else you could label them as. Fill in the blank. And that we would not be repelled by people. We may be bothered in our hearts by what's happening in our world because we realize so much of it doesn't align with the Word of God. We get that. But that we wouldn't be repelled to the point that we run away from people, but instead, in the grace and mercy and compassion of God, the same things that we have experienced in our own lives, we would run towards lost people. We would run to broken people. We would run to the neighbors, the people that are in front of us every day of our lives, and we would offer them help and hope in Jesus Christ. That's what they need. That's what they need the most. That's what we needed the most. It's still who we need every day of our lives. People need Jesus. If you're taking away a couple of things in this message, I would encourage you to take away this. Firstly, that we rightly love our neighbors when we first experience the love of God ourselves. How could we ever offer what we don't have? How could we ever give what we haven't received? How could we ever help someone else experience something that we don't know? We rightly love our neighbors when we first experience the love of God for ourselves. And when we experience that love of God in our lives, that's when we'll want others to experience Him too. There are two questions that I hope will shape our thought process today. Two questions that I hope will help us respond in this moment. Number one, do you see yourself the way God sees you? Can we be honest today? There are plenty of times in life we don't feel much like a masterpiece. We feel more like a master mess. There are times in life, maybe more than others, there are times in life where we feel like, man, I, I'm struggling or I've got this issue in my life or I've got these areas in my life and 
Do you recognize today that the God who put everything in creation in place, the one who's allowing you to enjoy the 61 degree weather coming up this week, the one who hung those stars and northern lights in the sky, do you realize today that from God Almighty, the greatest one who could ever be, you are loved, you are seen, you are known, and you are valued. And that in Christ you can be changed and cleansed and transformed. That indeed you are not a, a failure. You are not Humpty Dumpty who shattered into a million pieces. But in Christ you are God's masterpiece. And he's working in your heart and working in your life. And will then also work through you. Have you experienced the love of God? You say, well, Pastor Chris, I've, I've heard plenty of messages on the love of God. I understand that. But it's my prayer that you do more than just hear about the love of God. It's my prayer that you have such a depth in the relationship with God that you know that love that surpasses any other love you could ever experience in your life. Because when you taste that love, you recognize why it matters so much. When you taste His love, you recognize that only He can truly fill up the void that exists in the human heart. When you experience His love, He changes your life. And you're compelled to love Him in return, and then you want other people to experience the wholeness that is only found in God. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Seen, known, loved. Number two. As we start this conversation, I would ask us as an overarching question. If this is our framework for loving others, who could ever be unlovable? Say that again. If our framework for loving other people is we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is like it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And the premise is that we, we are loved by God, so we love God, and we have that love of God at work in us and now through us as well. If this is our framework, how could we ever define someone as being someone unlovable? If, if we're created in the image of God, if you and I are created in the image of God, Others are created in the image of God. It may be broken right now, but others are created in the image of God, and only the Creator can restore what was intended. We're created in the image of God, so others are created in the image of God. We have the greatest identity in Christ, which means other people can experience that identity in Christ as well. They don't have to be where they are today. They don't have to be in the same place. They don't have to live under the same bondage. God is still the one who sets people free. Do you believe that today? You should because I bet many of us can share the same testimony that God set us free. 
So if He has given us this new identity in Christ and He's shown us His love and given us all of these wonderful things in Jesus, others can experience that same identity as well. And then lastly, we experience God's love and compassion. We talked about this earlier. And so if we've experienced that love and compassion when we were unworthy, we were undeserving, I think sometimes as human beings, we try to paint ourselves as better than we really are or better than other people. It's kind of this competition thing. And well, well, God didn't really have to love me quite as much because I was already better. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that before Jesus, our Father was the devil. Let's call it what it is. The father of this world, the prince of this world who's in control of this world system. The Bible teaches us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. The Bible teaches us that we were rebellious towards God and deserving of His wrath. So if you've experienced the love of God and the salvation of God, it's not because you were worthy enough. It's because of how great He loves you. No matter what you did, no matter who you were, no matter how much better you might think you are or thought you were then than someone else, it's not the case. We were all in the same boat. And I'll go far enough to say, let's push ourselves out of the comfort zone. We were in the same boat as the same people you see and wonder how in the world they could ever come to God. We were all living in sin. So if we've experienced God's love and compassion when we were unworthy, then somebody else can experience God's love and compassion whether they're worthy, when they're not worthy. So let me suggest to us today as we wrap this up, as we begin this conversation, I want to challenge us to do something. I want to challenge us to check our hearts to make sure we haven't moved anyone into the unlovable category in our lives. I want us to check our hearts and say, God, have I moved anyone? Whether it's the people I know or the people I'm yet to meet. Have I moved anyone? Is there a certain life? Is there a certain person? Is there a certain thing that I see that somehow has caused me to shift them into this category of unlovable? We should be bothered by the sinfulness of our world, but that doesn't mean we should get to a point of hating the sinners. I, I, I feel like we need to let that set into us today. We should be bothered by the sin of the world, and there comes a point where we can talk about the fact you can't separate love from truth either. Okay? But we shouldn't get to this place where we're so upset with the sin that we actually treat sinners as less than what God intended to save. To come to a place where we can look across the room, look across the house, look across the street, look across the work, and to somehow put someone in an unlovable category. I'm thankful Jesus didn't put me in an unlovable category. I'm thankful Jesus doesn't do that. But rather, when He died on the cross, He welcomes those who will come, those who will believe, those who will invite Him in. He changes their lives. The songwriter said years ago, the love of God, 
How rich, how sweet. I'm thankful for the love of God and I'm thankful that now somehow I can be an agent of the love of God to love other people so that they too can experience eternal life in Him. It's a lot to be thankful for this morning. Would you stand with me all across the room? Thank you, Lord. God, we first come to you today to say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion towards us. Thank you, Lord, that Scripture teaches you are slow to anger. And even that you're patient with us. Thank you, God, that you didn't allow the brokenness of our relationship to remain, but you gave your own son, Jesus, to die in our place. He became the bridge to you, Lord. You made sure that the bridge existed. You made sure that there was a way to know you and to know eternal life. So today, first of all, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that when we were unlovable or at least unworthy and undeserving, you loved us. You cared about us. Thank you, God, for that love. Help us not to lose sight of that love. And then, Lord, help us to show that love towards others. There are people around us probably every day who haven't experienced this love we're talking about, who are broken and hurting and even hopeless. Would you help us, Lord, to love others? And would you help us today to check our hearts, to come to you and say, Lord, check us examine us and if there's someone in our lives or someone we could meet that we've moved somehow into an unlovable category we pray today change us would you give us eyes to see eyes to see the people around us and to see them Lord not just where they're at at the moment but to see Lord what you want to do in their lives to see them with the value you have in your heart for them to see them in a different way. Thank you, God. I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come and make their way, willing to serve today, to serve you today. Earlier in this service, we prayed together, and there may have been someone who said, you know what, I, I'm not right with God. I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, and and I want to I want to know how to have this eternal life and I want to know this love that God wants to give me and show me I want to experience firsthand. today there are people who will talk with you and pray with you there are people who will encourage you in the right things in the right ways of God's word they will also pray with you if maybe you're responding today to one of these two questions first do you see yourself the way God sees you Do you recognize you were created in the image of God? Do you recognize today that your your greatest identity is in Christ and because He loves you, that's more than enough to work in you, more than enough to carry you? 
Do you recognize today that God has extended and continues to extend compassion, mercy, and grace towards you? It's not about your worthiness. It's about His love for you. Do you recognize today, do you realize how loved you really are? And secondly, maybe you recognize as we start this conversation today that you're struggling to love your neighbors. It may not be just the people living beside you, although that could fit into this this conversation very easily. But it may be the people you encounter at work. It may be people within your family. It may be friends that you've known for a long time, but things aren't the same between you. It may be just the people you come in contact with as you go about your day. And you recognize in your heart there's not a right response. You feel that that animosity towards them. We could talk probably for hours about moving back into this place where we can be full of the love of God and offering that love to others. We could talk about forgiveness. We could talk about just seeing what God wants to do in other people's lives. We could go a long way. But ultimately, can we be a people who will say, God, if there's anything in me that would keep me from loving others the way I should, would you change me? Would you open my eyes? Would you open my hearts? Would you change me? Of course, if you have needs today, that are burdening you, things that are going on in life, situations, relationships, work, you name it. There are people also who will pray with you and just believe God to work. I'm going to pray over you today, and then I just challenge you to take some opportunity to respond. Father, thank you for this day. and Thank you for the opportunity to be together. And thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And I pray now we would respond to you. That, Lord, we would, we would look to you today. And we, Lord, would experience that love. We would know your love in a greater way, Lord. We would invite you, O oh God, to work in us. And, God, that the love you've shown and the love you continue to extend towards us, that that love would be shown to the people around us. Help us, love to, Lord, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To do that, Lord, help us to have the right perspective of how you see us and how you love us. Would you go with us, Lord, as we step into numerous opportunities to represent you to others. Father, I pray that you bless and keep this people. You make your face to to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor, ever be turned in their direction. And may you grant them your peace, I pray. Go with us, go before us, be our rear guard. Guide us, comfort us, strengthen us, and empower us as we serve you. Minister in these altars right now as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you respond.